Good morning. Well, can I extend my welcome to you if you're a visitor here this morning? Uh, it's great to see you. It's great to come together uh, and worship God. You, uh, if you're here for the first time, you join us in the midst of a series looking at some events of the Reformation. Uh, but don't worry about that. Um, it will all kind of uh, work itself out as a single kind of uh, word this morning. Um, to be honest, you have actually already uh, been preaching far better than, than I ever can. Uh, our very first chorus this morning, In Christ Alone. You know, those words that we were singing, that's kind of the, the topic of the Reformation that we're looking at today. Uh, and what a great time of worship, really uh, singing truths about who uh, Jesus is. So, anyway, this, this series is timely. Uh, if you don't know, if you're part of this church, I'm sure we've kind of hammered this home enough already, but uh, if you're still not sure, uh, two days' time, October the 31st, is the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Uh, and again, if that's new news to you, uh, it was a movement that kind of swept through Europe 500 years ago that just changed uh, the religious landscape uh, of Europe, uh, really sparked by a German monk called uh, Martin Luther, who had a number of uh, challenges, a number of concerns about the church at the time, the Catholic Church, uh, and his concerns and the way that he published those sparked this kind of reformation, this change. Uh, and you might think, well, hey, what do events of 500 years have to do with us in Crawley in 2017? I, I can't remember what happened last week, uh, let alone 500 years ago. Uh, but those events are a part of our history. They make us the church that we are today. They define the way that we do things. Uh, they define the things that we don't do. So if you've come this morning with all sorts of questions, well, what are these guys about? Why do they do that? Why do they say that? Why do they behave in that way? Then in many ways, the answers can be found 500 years ago uh, in the Reformation. New truths, new ideas, or more precisely, the reaffirming of, of old truths that have been lost, uh, choked by centuries of tradition uh, and old thinking. Uh, and uh, uh, when, when guys look back at the Reformation, this period, there were five key truths, five key principles that, that could be written down that summed up uh, all of that talking. Uh, we've looked at these over the past uh, few weeks. Sola Scriptura, by Scripture alone, is truth revealed. The truth about God here uh, in this word. Sola Fide, by faith alone are we saved. Sola Gracia, by grace alone do we obtain our salvation. Next week, Steve will be uh, finishing off uh, this series with, with the one I actually wanted to do. I didn't, haven't told him yet, but next week, that was the one I thought, yeah, if I get one, I'll do that one. But no, 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 no but solid Deo Glorio, all things, all things give glory to God alone. But I haven't got a bad one. Pretty, pretty good one. I've got left by process of elimination. That means I've got Solus Christus by Christ alone. And that's not a bad one to preach on this morning. That was the very first words that we sang. That very first song. In Christ alone, my hope is found. You've been preaching to me. You've been preaching to all of us this morning as you've been uh, singing that, uh, uh, that chorus. Let's pray and then we'll start to look at... Uh, at this idea. Father, thank you for Christ. Thank you for Christ alone as the means of our salvation. Lord, I just pray you'd help us just to open up this truth 
today, a truth that is relevant today as it was 500 years ago, uh, and see something of your nature, your character, your love for each one of us. Amen. Amen. As we have been uh, looking at these truths over the past few weeks, many of them can be literally nailed to a moment in time. I said the Reformation started when Martin Luther nailed to the door of the Wittenberg Church the 95 things that he thought were wrong uh, with the Catholic Church, literally nailing them to the church door. Uh, And so many of those ideas that he put up there concern the idea that we are saved through faith alone. Sola fide. We're not saved by the things that we do. We're not saved because we're good people. We're not safe because we try to be good people and hope at the end of the day we're kind of better than somebody else. We're saved through our faith in Christ alone. But sola fide, nailed to the door, October 1517. And then a couple of years later, when Luther was on trial, uh, facing the questioning of Johann Eck, uh, being challenged about what he believed, being asked, will he recant or be charged with heresy? Uh, putting his hand on the Bible and saying, I trust in Scripture uh, alone. Only these things, uh, only these truths are there. So help me God, I cannot say anything else. I cannot believe in anything else. Luther declaring that the Pope didn't tell him what truth was. Papal bodies didn't tell him what truth was. The Bible alone declared what truth was. Sola Scriptura, again, declared to a packed courtroom at Worms in April 1521. And those differences are clear and the the challenges that Luther brought there are stark and and apparent. But when we come to look at Solus Christus by Christ alone, we have to ask the question, what did Luther and the Catholic Church actually disagree on? Because they both would have said, Jesus is the Son of God. Both would have believed in a real birth to Mary, a human birth. Both would have believed in the cross. Both would have believed in Jesus Christ truly and really dying on the cross. Both would have believed that Jesus rose again. So the question was, what was all the fuss about? Particularly with this doctrine, with Christ alone, what did Luther and the church disagree on? Well, to answer that question, we actually need to, excuse me, have a little bit of a history lesson. You may not have come for that this morning, but those of you that know me now know that we kind of can't do this without dipping back a little bit into history. So we will come to the Reformation, but we actually need to start a thousand years earlier, before the Middle Ages. And we need to uh, ask the question, When people ask, who is Jesus, what answer did they get? Because that isn't a new question. Who is Jesus is a question that has been asked from the very beginning of Scripture, from the very beginning of when Jesus walked on the earth. When when Jesus was walking on this earth, when he was walking on the earth, people were saying, who is this Jesus? Who is this that commands the wind and the water? Who is this? that turns water into wine? Who is this that forgives sin? Who is this that raises the dead? And of course, it was a question that Jesus himself 
asked of Peter, who do you say I am? And in every case, the answer to those questions is Jesus. Peter's confession was a true confession. And you have been joining in that this morning, again with the words that we have been singing. Who brings our chaos into order? Who makes the orphan a son and daughter? Only Jesus. These are truths that are embedded as part of our being. And so the question comes again, so what was the fuss all about? If Luther believed that, and the Catholic Church believed that, what was nailed on the wall as an argument, as a challenge? So, to answer that question, we go back a thousand years. Because if you were to ask that question in the third or the fourth century, who is Jesus? There would have been all sorts of answers. It might seem puzzling because, frankly, Jesus has been walking on the earth. We're only a couple of hundred years after the time of Jesus. Surely everybody is clear as to who he is, the Son of God, born of Mary. Surely we don't need to go over that ground again. But the trouble was you did. Because in the third century, everybody had a different idea about who Jesus was. It might seem strange because you might say, well, surely... They had the Bible. They could open up to Paul's letter to the Romans and see some truth there, that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, yes, of course they had Paul's letter to the Romans. But the Bible wasn't gathered together in the form that we know of it then. And while you had Paul's letter to the Romans, you had the the Gospel of Marcion, the letters to Clement, you had all sorts of other stuff that was there that would say some right things about Jesus, that would say some wrong things about Jesus. And actually, in the third third century, if we can move on to the next slide, uh, that period of time, there was no consistent Christian worldview. A worldview is how you view the world. It's a framework into which you take information. It's a framework into which you'll decide if something is worth listening to or you want to reject it. The worldview is how we govern and see our lives. And at the time, although most people would have believed in Jesus, there was no clear idea as to who he actually was. You had people that believed that, well, Jesus is a a good man, but he isn't God. I guess there's quite a few people today that, that believe that. He's just a good man. He's not God. There's other people who said, no, 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 no. Jesus was God, but he wasn't really a man. He was just a spirit that was kind of floating around. And other people would say, well, he's kind of a little bit of God and a little bit of man, kind of a split personality, a kind of a schizophrenic type thing. And other people say, no, 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 he's a God, but he's not really the same sort of God as God. He's kind of a created God and lesser. And everybody was scratching their heads and nobody knew what to think. And it was tearing the church apart. And something had to be done about it. And so in 451 AD... All the great and the good of the church gathered together, a bit like a a New Frontiers elders meeting on speed. They kind of all gathered together to decide, what do we believe about this Jesus? What can we say? And they met in a place called Chalcedon, uh, which is part of Istanbul in modern-day Turkey. Uh, They'd had a a punt at this about 95 years earlier in the Council of Nicaea, but not everybody had kind of signed up to what they'd said there. Um, The good thing about Chalcedon was they absolutely nailed it. 
They absolutely nailed the declaration of who Jesus was. It says there, uh, uh, just a little extract from it. You can actually Google it uh, if you want to. And 1,500 years later, we would say amen to every single word. But this is just part of it. We then, following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, teach people to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, this perfect in Godhead, perfect in manhood, that means he's fully God, he's fully man, truly God, truly man, begotten before all ages of the Father, according to the Godhead, and in these latter days for us and for our salvation, born from the Virgin Mary. Amen? Amen. Amen. I mean, Google it, you would agree with every single thing that came out of uh, that, uh, uh, that body. And so we had this kind of foundation of absolute truth as to who Jesus was. And so when you get to the Middle Ages and the time of the Reformation and the time of Luther, rather than there being no consistent worldview, there absolutely was a very solid, a very established view of who Jesus was. In fact, it was almost impossible not to believe in that view. Everybody went to church. Everybody understood who Jesus was. And so the question was, and we're getting to it, what was the point of difference? Well, by this time, people were starting to ask the question, we know that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But is that enough? Is Christ alone Is Christ's sacrifice alone sufficient, or do we have to do something else? Is there something else we have to add to that work? And so to give it its kind of technical phrase or technical term, the argument back in the Reformation was about the sufficiency of Christ. I think Jackie used that word, didn't she, down here this morning? Sufficiency. That's a powerful word. Is Christ's sacrifice alone sufficient to bring me to God. And the truth that the Luther and the Reformation, uh, the Reformers had to declare was, yes, it is. Because the church was saying, but you have to do some other stuff as well. And the challenge from the Reformers was not to allow anything to get added to the cross of Christ or to Christ's work. And that could be through what was called sacraments. The, the, the Catholic Church saw a number of practices that you had to do, as well as believing in Christ, to earn your salvation. Holy orders was one. You had to become a monk or a nun. Well, Luther had been a monk for years. It didn't, didn't help him very much, if you followed the story that we did a few weeks ago. Marriage, very commendable practice, but a sacrament that brings you salvation? Probably not. Uh, confession, it's absolutely right to confess our sins, confess the things that we've done wrong, but doing that doesn't save us. And so Luther went through all these activities that the church would say, you have to do, as well as believing in Jesus. And he kind of crossed the ball off and says, I can't find that in Scripture, I can't see that. And of the, the seven sacraments, he said, I can actually only see two. I can only see two. And still, not things that save you, but things that are good practices to do as part of the church. One of them was communion. That's why we take communion. We don't take communion to become Christians. 
as Christians, we take communion to celebrate Christ's death. And the other sacrament was baptism. Isn't that important on a day like today? And again, baptism wasn't something that made you a Christian. We're going to be rejoicing later on that Andy already is a Christian. Hallelujah. And that truth is being declared through baptism. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. So Luther says, no, 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 you can't add to Christ's work. It's Christ alone. And so Luther and the Reformers would argue for the sufficiency of Christ. There's some gaps on my diagram, so we must move on rapidly. You see, then what happened after the Middle Ages, and I'll do this very quickly, we'll cover half a few, couple of centuries really quickly, was you had something called the Age of Enlightenment, where science started to come to the fore. You had people like Isaac Newton and Kepler and Galileo who started to say, this is how the world works. It isn't this big mystery anymore. We can actually understand the universe around us, the world around us. And God got pushed into the margins a little bit. And then you had the the Industrial Revolution through a period of time that historians will talk of as being the modern age. Not only did we understand the world around us, but we could actually form it and shape it and make it into what we wanted it to be. And again, God gets pushed into the margins, such that actually now... It's quite possible to not believe in a Christian worldview. You don't have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You've got science to tell you how things work. You've got the Industrial Revolution and consumerism to build what you need, to give you what you need. And so God gets pushed into the margins. And it gets even worse when we move into today's age, a post-modern age, because all that wonder of the age of enlightenment, the modern age, we can make ourselves better, came crashing down with two world wars that suddenly said, man isn't getting better, man isn't improving, man isn't developing, we're still as savage and violent and as unkind as we ever were. The, The idea that sociologically we are developing and becoming better people was destroyed with the trenches of Flanders and the Somme. And we now live in an age, again, a pluralistic age, where truth is rejected. Isn't it interesting that the phrase that's right in our headlines now is fake news? What an oxymoron is that? Oxymoron is where two things are contradictory. Fake news. But we've all heard that phrase. It's on our newspapers. It's, dare I say it, uh, builders, how the president speaks to the nations with fake news. Truth is what you want to make it to be these days. Who are you to tell me what to believe? Who are you to tell me what's right or wrong? So what if you believe that? I believe what I choose. That's the, that's the world view of this age. It's easy to not believe in a Christian worldview. There are 100,000 people in five minutes walk of this building that are very comfortable with that worldview. What does Jesus have to do with me right here, right now, today? Doesn't impact me. And so we face a different challenge to the challenge faced by the reformers. We don't have to just argue for the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. 
We have to argue for his very person, for the very unique and absolute character of Jesus Christ. We have to tell the story again that for a thousand years after Calston was accepted as truth. Who is Jesus? Fully God, come from the Father, fully man, born of Mary, the only one who is able to forgive our sins. We talk of sins as the things that we have done wrong, the stuff that we know we're not very proud of, the stuff that, if we're honest, we know separates us from a holy God. Who can forgive those sins? Well, only God can forgive sins because he's the one that we've offended. So when Jesus comes and says, I forgive your sins, that's a scandalous statement, unless Jesus is God himself. Philip Uh, in the Gospels, in Matthew, asked a really good question one day. A really good thing. He said to Jesus, show us God. It's a cool thing to ask, isn't it? Show us the Father, then we'll believe. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So Jesus is fully God. He's fully man. He's born of Mary. Because we faced punishment for our sins, the things that we'd done wrong. Mankind faced punishment. And that cost had to be borne by a man. Jesus wasn't a man. He had no right taking our punishment. He has to be fully God to forgive us. He has to be fully man to die in our place. And so we have to declare the unique character of God. Fully God, fully man. Henry V is a well-known Shakespeare play. If you've ever seen the uh, film with uh, Kenneth Branagh and uh, Derek Jacobi in it, it's probably about an old film now. I think it was done in the, the 80s or something. But there's a wonderful scene in that film where the, uh, the French uh, army uh, encamped on one side of the battlefield and the English army are camped on the other side of the battlefield, both with their knights and their soldiers. Uh, and the English are terribly outnumbered. They've invaded France and they're, they're in the minority. And so the French send this messenger across no man's land, this knight with a, uh, with a banner, and he's allowed to pass across the, the, the gulf between them because he carries a, a banner of truce. And he comes with the authority of the French king. He comes with all the authority of the French king. And he speaks to the English because he speaks English. He speaks their language and says, these are the terms of surrender that the French king will offer you. He comes from the king of France, speaking the language of the king of England. And if the roles had been reversed, Henry would have sent back a messenger with his authority that spoke French. And you see, as we stand separated from God by a gulf of sin, we need a two-way messenger. We need somebody to bring the word of God to us, That's what the Bible talks of as being a prophet. And there were prophets in the Old Testament. And the Bible makes it very clear that Jesus Christ is our prophet. Colossians 1, uh, verse 19. And we need a priest. We need to send our messages back to God. We need somebody to to bring our prayers, to, to stand in the gap for us. That's what a priest does. And the Bible says that Jesus is our high priest. Romans 8, 34. And only Jesus can do both of those. Because only Jesus is God and therefore 
able to bring a valid message. Only Jesus is man and therefore able to intercede for our behalf. I spoke a couple of weeks ago about this great gulf, this nine-metre gulf that separated men and God with our sin as that nine-metre gulf and said, what can cross that? Only the, the cross of Christ is big enough to bridge that gap. But there's two-way traffic across that gulf. The prayers of us through Jesus Christ, our priest. God interceding, God speaking to us through prophets. The great truth for us today, now, is obviously the Reformation didn't end, or the Reformation truths weren't the only truths that come. We now stand today knowing that we are priests, we are prophets. We don't pray to Mary, we don't pray to saints, we can pray directly to God. So in that sense, we are Priests, we talk of the priesthood of all believers, but Jesus Christ is still our high priest. The one that shows us the way. And we can hear from God. That was Luther's challenge. Open up this book. Open up this book. And God will speak to you through this. You don't need someone to uh, interpret, someone to, to tell you what it means. Pray that God will show you what it means. And yes, we have versions of the Bible that are slightly more helpful for different people. Find a version that works for you. But God will speak to you as you open up this word. And he'll show you more and more about who Christ is. So our challenge today, our challenge this morning, to the world out there, is not just to argue for the sufficiency of Christ. We argue for the uniqueness of his character the very absolute special nature that he has, the only one, fully God, fully man, able to be our prophet, able to be our priest, able to save us, able to bring us to the Father, able to declare all things to us and to make us new people. In Christ alone, our hope is found. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the unique character of Jesus Christ. We thank you for this one person in all of history that can deal with the separation and the gulf between us and the Father. Thank you that he came. Thank you that he died. Thank you that he rose again. Thank you that he Stephen now sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. Thank you that so many people in this room have already accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. Lord, I pray as we've declared these truths that many more would come to see who you are and to know you in this special way. Thank you, Father. Thank you for these truths. Thank you for the journey that we're on, all of us, to see you more clearly, to learn more about you. Amen. Amen.